DJ PK. It's time to bring in David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial properties. Or you can call 877-346-3333. Save 30 to 50% on your commercial properties' water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning. Good morning. My live stream hasn't ended, so people are watching me do this show with you right now. <laughs> how many people? I know I am. <laughs> oh, I don't know how many people, but it didn't like end the way it was supposed to. So, let's see. Well, let now them linger then. And Put your shirt on. Yeah, I have a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did anything crazy in those few minutes. It's always a nerve-wracking thing to start to retract your last five steps and wonder what you did on the last. <laughs> sure, I can probably pick my nose somewhere in the top. How are you guys? What another like? God, you have the best jobs in the world. Like you, you're going to have to amend your long-standing um, rules, David James. Yeah, you have your little philosophies that there's X amount of days a year that like it's a layup and then you really make your money the other days. I actually don't agree with it. I actually think you make your money on the, the ones who can do a, a unique show on the, on the easy days are the ones that are the best. Um, that's what you guys always do. When people listen to you, they always get a little bit of a different perspective, even on, easy on, even on what you would think of as a layup show. But boy, let me tell you what, not many guys get to go back and play T-ball as adults. I mean, it's just <laughs> like they just play from there for you every day. <laughs> There have been a few stories. There's been a little bit going on. Three college I mean, football teams here won 30 games. That, and they're not like just stories. Like, I mean, obviously Danny Ainge is amazing. That's what we're going to talk about. I don't want to derail this. But like the Jackson State story is one of the most fascinating, like five, six, day, seven, eight days worth of topics. But Deion Sanders gave this recruit. Cash. In the new nil world. Cash. And can I just tell you that there's nothing I enjoy more than watching these coaches who've been having boosters for all these years behind the scenes, paying their players and doing all this stuff illegally, and now this in public, you would think it, oh my goodness gracious, Dabo Sweeney, can I just laugh in your face? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody minds on this side of the country seeing that guy struggle. I don't, I don't know. I'm South Carolina is probably different, but around the ACC, they're probably enjoying it too. Uh, so I do want to talk to you about Danny Ainge. You yeah. grew up with the Carl Malone poster on your wall. I did. Famously. And the three of us, you, me, PK, going to jazz games in the 90s. And the jazz were always a team, and it was a Jerry Sloan philosophy. Maybe he got it from Frank. Uh, but I know Jerry believed that when teams were together, the third-year guys were together. As they're playing, you know, 175, 200, 225 games together, they are getting to a level where everybody knows what everybody else is going to do, whether the next thing happens is A, B, or C. And they'll all re- react together. And just that, that little bit of uh, just almost uh, ESP, right? I know what's coming before it's coming. Makes teams a little better. And the line between winning and losing is so fine. But Danny Ainge is the CEO now. And Danny Ainge, he'll make moves. He'll be more aggressive. He'll turn over the roster more quickly. Do you think that changes a little bit 
Do you think this organization is in for some surprises and the fan base better better get itself ready for what is coming? How, how is this going to play out? So, I, so one, on your point on just how the team's playing, they're just these plays every, on one, one or two a night where like a team tries to surprise us and the guys like pause, realize what's happening, and react. It's just awesome. It's just it's really amazing. Um, I don't remember. I think it might have been in Minnesota. I don't know where it was, but there was one where Donovan started a move and they doubled him out of nowhere. Royce reacted immediately correctly, but Donovan actually hadn't seen that Royce reacted correctly. So Donovan actually had pulled it out already and then started to signal. And as he went to signal to Royce, like, Hey, this is what they're doing. Royce was like, yeah, I already got it, man. I was already there. Like, let's just do it again. So Donovan went right back to the right spot. They doubled him. He hit Royce in the middle, rotated to Boyan. I don't know if they made the three, but um, it was just one of those things where you saw it. So I actually have dug into Danny Ainge pretty significantly, um, obviously over the, and, and there's a lot of data. Like it's a pretty interesting hire, right? We, there's not very often you get 18 years of someone's work to look at to try to figure out his characteristics. And I, I'm not sure I think that all of the characterizations of him, if you look at the 18 years of work, are actually accurate. One of them, like he is a traitor, mm-hmm. but he's a traitor like at the big moment. And then he's really a fringe traitor. Um, and he's actually a fringe traitor before and after the moments, which is so if you kind of go look back before he makes the Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen deals, he's making like he takes over in, in a year. He just kind of, he, he gets these tiny little advantages on deals um, along the way. And then, and those are kind of the deals he just makes. And, and they seem like immature. And you look back at them now and you're like, Oh, what was that? Like, why did that matter? But you can kind of find over the thread, some little piece somewhere in the process. Like, Oh, that's why he did that. Cause you don't, not every deal has to be a massive grand slam. And then the next signature is, he clearly understands other teams' desires. Like he's the ultimate Stephen Covey, seven habits of highly effective people, view the world through someone else's lenses. And he got that Phoenix was in desperate financial trouble and had to get rid of a draft pick, that they didn't want to take their draft pick, and so he ended up with Rajon Rondo. And he got that Oklahoma City wanted to be as terrible as they possibly could be in Seattle so they could redo Major League and get to the golden haven of Oklahoma City so we all could go there twice a year because it's so wonderful instead of going to the Pacific Northwest. And he got Ray Allen for Jeff Green. And he knew that Kevin Garnett was forcing his way out of Minnesota and mad. And he got and he gave them some value, but not great. And he knew that... Um, uh, Pokeroff was desperate for a winner and he fleeced him. Right? And he knew that Philadelphia was desperate for the shebang and the number one pick rather than the number three pick and that they needed that and he took advantage of that. Like, you can just look down the road of when he's made the major moves, he's got someone who has a need. He's not fleecing them in the sense that he's not giving them what they want, but he's certainly taking advantage of their desperation in that moment throughout his career. I also think, too, the hard decisions and you went through his highlights and everyone's going to go back to that trade to got them the title there with the three guys uh, and all Paul Pierce. Uh, obviously, we know who, what how that turned out. The other stuff, you know, he did fleece those guys, but it's not like the team did a whole lot with uh, with Jason Tatum. They haven't yet anyway. Well, I mean, he got see, that trade yields him Jalen Brown and Jason yeah. Tatum. They still haven't done a whole lot, though. 
but I mean, it's just the right yeah, thing. I mean, the thing that I was going to bring up, the thing that I like that he did, is he'll make the hard decision, and he had the hard decision with Isaiah Thomas, and he made it. And in retrospect, it looks like clearly that was the right decision. So sometimes these guys are a little hesitant to make the tough decision, the easy decision, you know, to get those guys that you just mentioned. Sure, you do that, but sometimes you got to make the hard decision, and that's what I like about him. And I think um, that's where we are, right? Yes. Like, our next move is the most difficult move. First of all, we're very limited in how we could do it. Second of all, you have a 500 team and you make a trade, like, you know, so what? Like, the be- there's not a lot of downside to that. Like, it doesn't, it's not a lot that's going to go wrong at that point. Um, you know, you, you could either be 500 probably again, or maybe it gives you a little boost. But right now, the trade we're about to make, you, you, you could go make a move right now and dislodge this apple cart, and all of a sudden you've ruined one of the best teams in the NBA. You could make a move right now, and no matter what move you make right now, you're moving a beloved player of both teammates, front office, and fan base. Like, there's... Like these guys like each other. They've all been together so long that the front, like they all get along, you know, the, an outside set of eyes that might be willing to say, you know, okay, I got you, love this guy, but like here's the reality of like what his return to us is over the next 18 months. And I think that that probably means we've got to make this move. That is an easier conversation to be had probably with another set of eyes. And then the last one that I would mention, and, and I, I hope this doesn't come off arrogantly, but I've just been very fortunate over the last few years of by running locked on. Decisions are super hard. Like I've lost a lot of sleep over some really simple decisions or how I'm getting a group to a decision or what we're doing on something. They're just really hard. And I'm sure Justin Zanuck was perfectly capable of doing this, you know, but why wouldn't you add someone else? But if I'm just looking at it from Justin, then I was thinking this when I was watching Justin in a presser this week. It's just super hard. And you don't, you have a sort of a relationship with Ryan Smith that's building over time. And Justin's a great people person. So I'm sure he's got a pretty good relationship. But like, this is having another person to just bounce that idea off. If you're not just an egomaniac who has to be the one, then it's wildly productive. And Justin's not that guy. That's not who Justin is. So the fact is, like, if I'm been Justin and I'm just isolating this to Justin and I'm in his chair for the last, like, this next decision, while exciting, is super hard. And to have somebody else, you can kind of say, hey, I'm thinking of these two, three things. What's your thought? How do you look at it? What's your viewpoint? Is incredibly valuable. Um, because, like, they're just, decisions are really, really hard. There has been plenty of commentary, and you can find it nationally, especially if you're a Jazz fan, you got a chip on your shoulder. Hey, the Jazz are good, but they are not on the Warriors' sons' level, and don't waste my time talking about it. You buying that? How to respond? And Because it, it plays into what we're just talking about here at Ainge. If a hard decision has to be made to get the Jazz up one more level so they don't go out in the second round again, or, hey, they're already there. It was massed early in the year. The team's good, but they lost some games before Rudy Gay got uh, worked in the rotation, and they're, they're good to go. Don't worry about what the standings say, and don't worry about outside noise from whatever person on whatever website or TV show. <coughs> Gesundheit. Um, 
So, I mean, I think we have probably like a 15 to 20% chance to win the title. Yeah. And I think so does Phoenix, and so does Golden State. Milwaukee probably has about a 22% chance to win the title, and that actually put Brooklyn at like a 17, 16% chance to win the title. Like, I kind of think that's how it is right now. You know, those numbers are probably, I probably should drop all those numbers about 2 or 3% and go give the Lakers 3% chance, and I actually think the Clippers probably deserve a 10% chance if Kawhi gets back. And even if Kawhi doesn't get back, I think they could win a lot of playoff series. Um, really like them. So they're, you know, there's just, they're on the fringes. They're, boy, Lawrence Frank's done a great job in a bunch of stuff, but like the Ibaka, like, let's see if he plays again. Did he just disappear for the year? Like, what just happened? Something weird just happened with Ibaka. Like, where's that going? Um, so maybe not. Maybe I, maybe I should stop my Clipper love. Um, but I think that, um, see, I mean, so that's my answer to your question is we have a chance. It's the same as everybody else's really at this point. It's kind of how I thought it was at the beginning of the year. I do think Phoenix is, if someone wants to raise the flag of disrespect, it's Phoenix, not us. I mean, they went to the NBA Western Conference Final. They went to the NBA Finals last year. They're playing without Devin Booker, and they keep winning. Like, holy smokes. And they won by 20 last night again, right? Yeah. And I don't think Booker played. I mean, if someone and I and I had Phoenix. If I'm if I'm being totally honest in all my metrics that I run before the season, I had Phoenix pretty considerably ahead of everybody else in the West. And the thing on Phoenix is, I think Booker, Aiton, and Bridges will all get considerably better as the year goes on this year. They're still in development stage. They've had the NBA Finals experience. They're better. I also had the Jazz second in the West because I had Donovan and Rudy still getting better. And other than Luka, those were the only players I had in the West that from a career trajectory point were going to change where they were on their on the totem pole of excellence. And that has turned out to be true. Donovan and Rudy are much better players than they were um, a year ago. Donovan, dramatically so. And so I actually would say that I think um, that increases our chances of, more than I had our chances of the year started. Donovan and Rudy are pretty close to both top 10 players in the NBA right now. That's exactly where I was going with my next thought as far as Donovan Mitchell because you put Steph Curry on a plane unto himself, but where do you put Mitchell? And I think you already answered that to me. I think you know, Curry is just absolutely sensational. But other than that, at that position, I think Mitchell's right there. Can I geek you out and... Like you can stop and tell me if you don't, if it like makes no sense, because I really don't. This is actually the last thing I did right before I came on the show, so it's what it's I'm thinking fresh. about in regards yeah. to Donovan's progression. Please. So I have an uh, seriously, just like if it's not making sense, stop me at some point here. Um, I have an offensive metric that I use to evaluate offensive players. And it's called points gained. So the idea is that if Patrick Kinahan got ten possessions on a get, or scoring opportunities on a given night, how would you use those scoring possessions compared to a player? to average players in the NBA. Does that make well, sense? PK would dunk 10 times. <laughs> right. And then, so, but actually, so that's an interesting note. The dunkers are getting like, the big men are way more important this year than they've ever, ever been before because no one's going to free throw line and no one's shooting at the rim. So Rudy is actually one of the most dominating offensive players in all of the NBA right now because he's dunking five times a night or four times a night, and that's huge. Um, so here's Donovan, some points gained. Example, Donovan Mitchell in his rookie year used 23, 19 scoring opportunities a night and was negative 0.6 points below average. Okay? So if you had distributed those, those 19 possessions to average players, they would have scored 0.6 points more per night than Donovan. 
It's a pretty good metric to look at them. But the point of this is career trajectory. Negative 0.6. Negative 1 his second year. Not uncommon. His third year, negative 0.3. Really big jump. That's the year you're supposed to make your jump. Two to three. That's a big jump. Last year, subtle jump. Negative 0.1. This year, positive 0.9. Massive jump. He has now become one of the very few high-usage players who's efficient. And that's special. Daniel, we will leave it right there. We've got to move along. We appreciate that. And before you go, do you want to wish... Was that bad, huh? No, it's fine. Do you before you go? Do you want to wish uh, PK happy birthday? No way. Way. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Why? Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody <laughs> gets I one a year. I actually, I got. You know what? <laughs> actually, like you're right there with me. I think like the whole birthday thing is the strangest thing in the world. Like, first of all, celebrate the mother. They're the ones who did the work a long time ago, right? Like. What did we do? Like, oh, I, a bunch of people took care of me, and I survived another 365 days. Woohoo! Now, most recent 365 days, probably worth celebrating. Frankly, we should celebrate every day we get through right now. True. Thank you, David. You know what? You guys what? are really outstanding, and it has really come to me recently in the most recent month how much I enjoy doing this show. I think sometimes I had taken for granted how good you guys are, and what an absolute pleasure it is to be a guest on this show. And I have been reminded over the last few months how much I really enjoy it. And I just want to commend you for what great, terrific work you do and what a pleasure it is to come on your show. Yeah, can you bump Kelly Papinga? we got to keep Locke for another half hour. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> See you guys. All right. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. You will hear him tonight. The Jazz are back in action at home against the Spurs. The game tips at 7 o'clock. And the Wizards will be here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Jazz with an eight-game win streak right now. We're going to switch and talk college football next. Former BYU Cougar Kelly Papinga made the move to Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall. Bronco suddenly retires. Now what? We'll talk with Kelly Papinga next. Stay with us. The New Zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the Zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. TJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Football Fridays. Presented in part by America First. America First reminding you, there's a Raider game coming up this weekend. The Raiders and the Cleveland Browns brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Raiders and Browns coming up Saturday game. Time to bring in Kelly Papinga. 
University of Virginia co-defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, former BYU Cougar. An all-around good guy. And he joins us right now <laughs> on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain, state-of-the-art. Smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit SmartRain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. Kelly, good morning. What's going on, guys? It's great to hear your guys' voices, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it, it has, has been. been a while, but we have been thinking about you. So, your last month's been pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, man, it has been. It has been, obviously, you know, didn't uh, didn't see that one coming, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's part of the business. Really, when you get into college coaching, you know at some point something like this is going to happen, and, uh, you know, you can always talk about it, but you're never prepared for it, honestly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been uh, an interesting two weeks for sure. So can you just kind of walk us through what happens? You get called into a meeting. How does it happen? You sit down. What does Broncos say? Your reaction, eye contact you're making with other people. What someone burst out and said. How did it all play out when you're in the room? Yeah, it was actually – we were actually out on the road recruiting. And uh, we were all out on the road recruiting, so we got on a Zoom call. And uh, he just, he just, yeah, he just let us know, um, you know, just he needed a break. He needed a recharge. And, uh, and I believe him. I believe that uh, I don't think Coach Menhall is done coaching. I think he's, you know, and I, he hasn't come out and said that, but I just, based upon what he said, I think he just, he needed some time to just, I think, uh, yeah, recharge the battery a little bit, man. He's been a head coach for 17 years, and I haven't been in those shoes before, but I'm sure that uh, takes a lot out of you. And, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, just needing to recharge that battery, man, and then get back to get back to work is my guess. I don't know that. He hasn't told me that. That's just my assumption. You guys are coaching through the bowl game. They've made a hire. What is your job status beyond the bowl game? Do you know? Yeah, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that's been told if I'm going to be here, if I'm not going to be here. Um, the new guy pulled us in the other day, and uh, Coach Ellie pulled us in. Seems like a great guy. Honestly, a lot of similarities between him and Coach Mendenhall. I think that's a reason why they hired this guy. He has a lot of uh, uh, high standards when it comes to not just on the field, but off the field as well. Um, really emphasizes academics and high character. and um, You can see why they've had a lot of success at Clemson um, consistently over the years. I think he's been there the last 11 years. But nothing uh, – yeah, I have nothing uh, concrete yet, man. So I just – I think you know all of us are going to go through this evaluation process. He's going to evaluate us over the next two weeks as we're in bowl practice here, and uh, we'll see where that goes. But you know how college coaching goes. You guys know. You guys have been around it enough and seen it that um, you know most most head coaches they have their own guys, they have their people, they have the people that that they trust that they're loyal to. Um, just like Bronco, like when Bronco came out here, he retained one guy on the staff that was previously here, and so my guess is it'll be something similar. Maybe keep you know, one to three guys at most. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I've been on the phones, man, trying to work it as, with as many people as I can, you know, the people that I know throughout, you know, my career and other people that I've met. And that's, uh, yeah, the networking that you have to do at this point. And so, um, yeah, we'll see where that all goes. This is probably too broad a question, but I'm curious after uh, after a long time at BYU, you go to Virginia. What do you know about college football now that you didn't know six years ago when you went to Virginia? Just because you went to different conference, yeah. different side of the country, public school, not a private school, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, man. It's I, For me, especially beyond the East Coast, it's way more cutthroat than, uh, than I ever imagined. Um, 
from my time at BYU. So seven years at BYU, six years here. And uh, really, that's what I've seen the most is the recruiting process is, I mean, it's, if you aren't in it all the time, you're like, a, you're like a doctor, like an emergency room doctor, man. You're on call <laughs> 24-7. And at any time, like a recruit calls you, you got to pick up. And which is, you know, yeah, that's, that's not the greatest, uh, you know, family atmosphere environment that you want to have when you're home with your family. And you're like, sorry, hon, I got to step away and take this call from this 16-year-old, you know. That doesn't go over well very often, but hey, you know, that's just, that's, it's part of the deal. And at BYU, the pool was so much smaller because there's only, a, you know, a certain amount of kids that were really, really, truly interested in, in, in BYU. And yeah, a, a lot of like, especially with a really good player, you know, you get a, a four like a, a Fred Warner, for example, that I, you know, I helped recruit to BYU. Um, you know, because of his his uh, you know ties as you know the religion and all that, that was really the only reason why we were able to really have a shot at Fred. Like when you get to Virginia, there's really not that strong tie that people have unless they came here. So then you got to recruit a bigger pool, and uh, you got to offer like at BYU for one spot, I'd offer maybe three or four guys here at Virginia for one spot. I'm, I'm probably offering, you know, double that. And so you're doing double the recruiting, if not triple the recruiting at times than what we were doing previously, as far as just the number of guys that you're contacting recruiting. And so for me, that was the biggest slap in the face that I got when I came here. It was like, holy crap, the time that you're putting into recruiting um, was way, mo- way more than what we ever did at BYU. It's going to be an interesting thing going forward because you look at what you had here in Provo. You had the, all these guys together. A lot of them, to one extent or another, were BYU guys, uh, played there. You know, and I, going way back, played there. And Atawaya and so forth, Jason Beck. I mean, I can go down the list, right? And then you all, like, as a group, almost like you go on this big field trip together on the other side of the country, and then you're there for six years. So I imagine that, you know, these guys, and Bronco talked about it when he did his press conference preceding the week of the BYU game, how everybody, I think he said 14 people, and I think he was including the spouses, to go back there, and all of you guys, I think he said, were in the same war except one person and all that stuff. So you probably are pretty tight together, uh, like foxhole type of mentality. How weird is it going to be knowing that that's probably going to come to an end and you guys are most likely, if you stay in the biz, are going to scatter? Oh, yeah. So, you know, we've been together nine years now as a staff, the majority of us. And uh, you've gone, yeah, we've gone close together. Our, Our kids are all best friends. Um, shoot, my my kids look at some of the other uh, coaches and their wives like their parents in a way. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a really close, tight knit um, deal that we've had, and really unique. Probably um, not another staff in the country has that closeness that we have. Um, I think Northwestern has kind of something similar, from what I've learned, where they've been together with uh, Coach Fitzgerald for a long time. But uh, the uniqueness of it, us being at a place and then traveling across the country and being at another place for six years and just those bonds and that friendship that we developed, um, I don't think there's anything like it in college football. And really that's what I think helped us recruit um, some of our best players here because they saw the consistency that we had as a staff together, knew that a lot of guys weren't leaving. Um, and uh, that's what helped us land some of our best recruits that we've got here. Um, but really, with all, everybody spreading other places, I actually think it helps us 
as far as just networking. And, you know, Coach 2J goes to a different staff, and I go to a different staff, and Coach Hunter, Coach Hal goes, now we all are networking. Our network now grows bigger, which, you know, that's that's kind of like the, the, the double-edged sword that we've lived by, you know, being with Coach Mendenhall is you've got this great guy that you're working for for 13 years that treats you really well. And, uh, yeah, that's why we didn't want to leave because the real world of college football, it's not like that. And uh, But the, the I guess the negative part of that is your network isn't as big as, shoot, if I was maybe at another place for 13 or, you know, in another situation over the past 13 years, I might have had six different jobs. Yeah. And my network would have been bigger, but I would have been moving six different times and moving my family all over the place. And so, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I feel blessed to be with Coach Mendenhall and the staff for the past 13 years. And, uh, yeah, you know, people might say your network's not as big, but, man, the, the experiences I've had, the relationships I've, I've built, the winning that we've done, um, I would have had no other way. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm anxious for the next, uh, the next chapter in my life where it's going to take us. So there has been, I think, uh, unprecedented gets used too easily, but I think there's been unprecedented moving and high school coaching jobs for LSU to go in and take Oklahoma, or excuse me, for LSU to go in and take Notre Dame's coach, for USC to go in and take Oklahoma's coach. Um, it's just crazy. How how much are the assistant coaches and the staffs all put together, and how much shuffling remains? Do you have a good handle on that? Yeah. So typically, how it works, the head coaches, it just kind of it's kind of like a trickle down effect. So typically, it starts with the head coaches, and that usually happens right after the season, and then um, before sign right before signing day, you'll get some uh, you know some coordinator positions filled there's a lot of those still not filled and then once those coordinator positions get filled then it goes and trickles down to the assistants and so and so there's usually when it comes to coaching there's a there's a bunch of different waves there's the wave right after the season then there's another wave right after signing day where a bunch of hires happen then there's another wave right after um the bowl season so the beginning of january and then there's another wave when the nfl season ends as well because there's college coaches pulled you know from the ranks in college up to the nfl so there, there will be shuffling with the assistant coaches all the way through the end of January. And so, yeah, that, it's, it's, yeah, I got to have a lot of patience, man, because I see other guys getting hired at different places. And, yeah, you could get frustrated. But just knowing the process and seeing it um, over the past 13 years, yeah, it's going to go for the next two months. And so, yeah, you just got to make sure, uh, yeah, you got the right connections. You're talking to the right people. And, you're hopefully in front of another guy that potentially wants the same job and you're talking to the head coach before he's talking to him. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a trickling down effect. I guess to ask your question. So, you know, start with the head coaches, then to the coordinators and then to the assistants. Are you prepared then if it has to be to go anywhere in the country? Oh yeah. My wife and I already talked about, it. we put, we put 13 years of our lives into this and uh, yeah, we're, we're anxious to go to go anywhere, honestly. And so, yeah, you got the the Ruston, Louisiana's, yeah. Troy, Alabama's, or you know, it, you know, you got all these little small college towns. And yeah, I'm I'm willing to go experience that. And uh, yeah, probably know. You know, I, I look at Coach Mendenhall's career, and I mean, he was in Ruston, Louisiana, for a little bit. He was in uh, Northern Arizona for a little bit. Then yep. he landed in New Mexico and ended up BYU. So yeah, there's different paths for everybody, and I'm probably going to have to take a step back to take a step forward. Kelly Papinga joining us, former uh, former Cougar player, former Cougar coach, 
now Virginia coach, now getting ready to watch everything shuffle. Hey, can you give us an idea how much uh, the transfer portal and and uh, name, image, and likeness have changed your job? <laughs> that is the question that everybody asks. So I would say um, how I see it, starting with uh, just the transfer portal, we, we were really lucky until this year, until Coach Menhall made his announcement um, that he was uh, going to resign. We had not had many guys leave our program. And I think it just goes back to um, I think we treat our guys well. Um, and I think they see that we really care about them. And we, uh, yeah, we, we've stayed together as a staff, so they knew that what they signed up for they were going to get. And uh, just the consistency, consistency of that, I think, helped us retain um, a lot of our players. So we, when this transfer portal thing started two years ago, I think we were second or third in the country with the lowest amount of transfers. But – we did capitalize on a lot of guys transferring in. So we had a really big tight end that came in this year. You guys probably saw him, uh, number zero yeah. that played. Um, he, he's a freak. He became he was an all-ACC first-team player for us, um, was at Oklahoma State, came to us. So um, him and then our number 99, Keaton Thompson, same thing. He guy came from Mississippi State, highly recruited kid, came here and really helped us out. So I think we capitalized on guys coming in here. And, uh, you know, that part can really help you as far as filling a hole that you might have missed through an injury or maybe you missed in recruiting. Um, so I really like it in that part. The part that I don't like is kids are just so easy to leave after something where, you know, they sign up for something and they see that it maybe not is exactly what they thought it was during recruiting. And they're here for a semester or one year. They don't even give it a chance and they, you know, <laughs> take off and they go to the next spot. And what a lot of these kids don't realize is there's over a thousand kids in the transfer portal right now. And I mean, there's no way that those guys are all going to go play power five football. No way. So a lot of those kids, they get stuck in the portal thinking that, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side and end up leaving a power five school and they end up at an FCS school because there's no other options. So some of these kids, I think rush into the decision and uh, it ends up, yeah, hurting them where they not, they're not getting what they thought they were going to get when they went. And so I, I don't like it, to be honest with you. I think it's hurting the game um, in a lot of ways, um, especially the kids. I think it's hurting the kids as far as just not helping them, you know, really, you know, go through the process of like everybody else had to do in the past of just, yeah, you, you signed up for a place, give that place a chance. Yeah, you're not going to come in and play immediately all the time. You're going to have to go through some, uh, you know, some growing pains. And I think kids these days are so easy to, you know, kind of run away from some adversity um, and so for that reason, I don't like it, but, um, the NLI thing, yeah, I think, I think there's some positives from that. I think there's some negatives, but as far as the positives, I think, I think there are opportunities that these kids should have to make money off of their, you know, their name, their image and their likeness. I think that's fair. Um, but I think there's a certain extent that goes to, and to what, to what that is, I don't know yet. And I think the NCAA doesn't know. I don't think anybody knows really. Um, shoot, you guys probably saw the number one player in the country just signed with uh, yeah. you know Jackson State over a, hand, a huge NLI deal. So, um, yeah. So I mean, I I don't I don't think we've really seen all the ramifications of the NIL yet. Um, but I do think for the players, there are some positives from it. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting to see how it all plays out. You know, till rules are actually put into place of what can actually happen and can't happen. But um, I do like how it helps the players. Um, capitalize on themselves, which in the past, um, you know, I think that's been one of the negatives of the NCA, where they're 
you know, selling a jersey or whatever, and the kid can't make any money off of that when they're using the kid to make money. So I, I think there's some positives from it. I know you've been buried with your own stuff, but I'm wondering if you've been able to follow. It's kind of funny, the expression for you as a Wyoming kid out west. This is where your uh, your roots are. But have you been able yeah. to follow Utah to the Rose Bowl and BYU to the Big 12? I have, man. I have. I You know, I try to watch those guys because I, you know, obviously, you know, playing for BYU, coaching for BYU, that's always, uh, you know, something I want to stay close to. And then you just with Utah, just the respect for, I have for those guys. Um I've watched them over the years after being out here. And, yeah, happy for all of them, honestly. I was uh, watching the the Pac-12 championship game. I was impressed with Utah. And the thing that I really, you know, admire, Coach Whittingham and Coach Scally and those guys, they just they've stuck to their guns, man. <laughs> They're doing pretty much the same exact stuff they've done for the past 15, you know, forever. Yep. And uh, they've just they've stuck to what they do best. And uh, it's really helped them. You know, obviously I'm sure Utah fans get – Picked off at times where the offense doesn't do this or do that, but you know I think they got a quarterback now that I think is a you know pretty dynamic player and a game like a he's not the game manager that they've been used to in the past. I think this guy can make plays with his arm and with his leg, and I was impressed with him in the Pac-12 championship game. And I thought they just whooped Oregon's butt. I mean it was it was a complete butt whooping. And I guess they did it a couple weeks before that. I didn't have a chance to watch that game, but um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty ironic though that. The year that uh, yeah. Utah ends up going to the Rose Bowl is the year the BYU ends up beating them and ending the streak. So I thought that was funny how that all played out like that. But uh, so did we. But happy for those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just like happy for both teams, even Utah State, to be able to see what they've done this year. Pretty impressive, you know, those three schools and everything that they've been able to do. How big is the jump for BYU going into the Big Twelve? What? How would you advise? Cougar fans and Cougars to think about this, plan for it, and set their expectations. Yeah, so there's going to be a transition, obviously. If you just go back to what happened with Utah when they went into the Pac-12, I think there was two losing seasons there that they had um, to try to get caught up to the talent and the recruiting of you know, the Pac-12. I don't think it will be as big for BYU. And the reason why is because they've had this little transition with independence where I think that's, that will help them um, as far as being able – they've had to – I think our recruiting changed from going from the Mountain West to the to Independence. I think it helped us get some um, better players at times. And I think they'll have the same opportunity, you know, going into the Big 12. I think they're recruiting. They'll take a jump in recruiting just because now they'll be in a, yeah, a Power 5 conference. But there will be a transition phase there. And who knows how long that will take. Maybe it'll be a half a season, a full season, two seasons. But – I think if you just look at even TCU went through it there for a little bit. Um, so I think, yeah, I think if they're expecting them to just get into the Big 12 and all of a sudden go, you know, put, compete for a Big 12 championship, it might happen. But the chances that it do, I think, you know, or that it does, I think is, um, you know, it's not as likely as this, them taking a step backward. I think just the transition of that, they'll be, you know, maybe a six and six season or a seven five season. And then, yeah, I think. They're going to have a great – I think it's a great fit for them. I'm excited for them. I know that was something that we've wanted for a really long time, even back to when I coached there. And uh, I think just – even with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, I still think it's a great conference for them to be in. And, uh, yeah, I'm extremely excited for them and excited about uh, what they're going to do. It's just, it's just after being out here and playing in the ACC and coaching in the ACC, it's just so much better playing and having a chance to play for a conference championship. And so, for example, this season we go to – 
where uh, we play Pitt the second to last game of the season. And that game was basically who won that game was going to play for the ACC championship. And so that came all the way down to the second to last game of the year. And so you look at BYU being independent, they haven't had that opportunity where they're playing these these really relevant games at the end of the season. Now, this year was a little bit different because of the record, but um, but I just think, man, to be able to compete for a conference championship, that's going to be a game changer for that program. And that's something that they've done extremely well. You know, going back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, they've won a ton of conference championships. And I think being able to get back to doing that um, is going to bring another fire um, to that program. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens for them. I got to say, Kelly, before we let you go, it was still weird for me to see Bronco Mendenhall with facial hair. <laughs> I don't know if you saw all of our staff, man, but as the as six years passed, man, there was some long hair, there's some facial hair, there's some, you know, major honor code violations going over here. But, uh, you know, it was, all, it was all good, man. We enjoyed it. And, I mean... Just uh, the experience I've had here has been something that's uh, changed my life. And, yeah, just look forward to the next opportunity that comes my way. Well, if anyone says, can you come to the small college town, you can say, only if you come visit me in Evanston, and then I'll explain you some stuff. Exactly, exactly. That's been my, uh, that's been my thing to him, saying, hey, man, I grew up in a town of 12,000 people. I can, I can make it anywhere, man, so I'm not worried about that at all. I enjoyed two weeks of summer. <laughs> <laughs> Both those weeks were great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Good luck with the job search, and we'll stay in touch. All right, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Kelly Papinga, University of Virginia co-defensive coordinator and linebacker coach. And with Bronco dropping the news on a Zoom call, now a guy who's looking for an opening on a college football coaching staff. Yeah, I knew they would have been on the road because that was right during recruiting time. And and Kelly Paping is one of the most dynamic guys I've ever been around. I've known him for a long time. I really, really root hard for him. And somebody's going to get a great coach and a great recruiter because he's a great dude. DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. This is Unripe. Guys are doing a hell of a job. We have with us Evan Dudley, the UAB beat writer. Anything you feel about the game? Who's going to win it? First thought, I'd probably have to go with BYU. Obviously, they had a great season. Uh, you know, better Pac-12 record than half the Pac-12. They beat the <laughs> Pac-12 champion, you know, head-to-head. But I think BYU uh, probably the better talented, better team. But UAB is also a team that gets the most out of its players. They're going to play physically, and they're going to try to give themselves a chance there in the second half against a really good team. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. This doesn't sound like Tom Petty. Yeah, it is. It's early Tom Petty. It's early. I am currently <laughs> hunting for that song. Before the Marlboros tanked his voice. <laughs> Yeah. It. Christmas is a rocking time. I, I don't know so what it's called. I found it right before we were coming back. In, in I just the commercial it right break, yet. PK requested a Christmas song. And so it's like, what, Perry Como? Or? This is Perry Como. Oh, is it? I yeah. nailed it. Nice, nice job. <laughs> Your parents listen to Perry Como? I just plucked it out of the sky. <laughs> like I did that time, uh, who was it, your grandma's name or somebody? I did it a few weeks ago. Mm. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I just guessed. You know my all-time guess, best guess? I know you got to read something, but you can read it after this because this this is worth saying, and we only got a minute anyway, is that 
Uh, we are in our second house here since we live in Utah. We've owned two houses, right? And the first one, we lived there for four years, and then we only moved a mile south. So we wanted to stay in the same area. So we're with the realtor, and we're, lo- we're, look- uh, we're looking at a house, and the answer machine goes on. Mom, Dad, this is Bill. And it's, it's clear it's their son. Mm-hmm. So he's going on and on. And I said to both my wife and the realtor, I said, you watch. He's going to ask for money. <laughs> sure enough, in the course of the phone message, he said he needs some money. <laughs> and they both looked at me. How'd you know that? <laughs> and I could just tell that. He, so that was one of my best calls ever. <laughs> it's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save 1400 bucks. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Hey, Kelly Papinga, get you thinking? All sorts of things there, yeah. Kelly Papinga just joined us in the previous segment. Former Utah State player, went on a mission, came back, played at BYU three years, assistant coach at BYU, then at Virginia, 13 years with Bronco, has all kinds of observations Bronco's resignation at Virginia is good news for BYU on multiple levels. And we will explain that next. Stay with us.